was a youth pastor. And for those of you who may not know, one of the very interesting facts about Pastor Lee was, in addition to the fact that he is a man of God who will speak to us from the Word of God, is that Pastor Lee was and his wife, Rosa, are expecting a little baby. And so for those of you on the internet and on radio, please keep that in your prayer. After uh, special music that will be brought to us today by Jaleesa Smith, the next voice that you will hear is that of Pastor Russell Lewis. Please give him your undivided attention. Before Jaleesa sings, I'd just like to ask the church to pray for her. Tomorrow, Jaleesa leaves to be a student missionary, and she'll be serving in Micronesia, many, 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 many miles away. And she'll be gone for a whole year from us. And she's so, always so willing to sing and to serve when she's here, and we appreciate you for that. And we send you with our love and our blessings. We wish you Godspeed.
Jalisa, don't go anywhere. Join me up here. Thank you so much. Come on. Thank you, because I'm going to ask you to sing at the end of the sermon. Amen? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we do the good stuff first. Let me just say that um, I've been impressed by you. You're a model, model, model uh, child of God. I've never seen this where... Uh, someone goes off to do literature evangelism for their summer and then right after take a week off and then decide to plunge right back into a mission experience, not a vacation, but a mission experience for an entire year. And the church said amen. amen. So from the top of my heart, we appreciate you as youth pastor here. We love you, and we're going to miss you. And uh, we just want you to know that our prayers are with you, and it is in good keeping. I'm going to ask the elders to just come right here and make, just, just put your hand on Jalisa. And, and uh, I'm going to pray a special 
prayer of anointing right now. And you bow your heads and pray that this young lady is anointed by the Holy Spirit. That as she goes across the end of the world, uh, that the Holy Spirit will be with her. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for Jalisa. We thank you for the fact that you have seen this from the foundation of the world. That, Lord, you have anointed her for a special, special purpose. And so even now I ask, I plead, O oh God, that you may pour out a double portion of your Holy Ghost power on Jalisa. That every life that she comes in contact with may come to know your son Jesus and to know him more abundantly. And we promise, O oh God, that Father, that even though she's out of sight, she will never be out of our minds or out of our prayers. Thank you, O oh God, for what you're about to do with her. Bless her family. Multiply their finances and their blessings, we ask, O oh Lord. And thank you for this daughter of God, your daughter, your princess, for the trailblazing uh, example that she is setting for the youth of abundant life. Father, we love her, but we know you love her more. And we are so, so happy and excited for her mission enterprise. Hear our prayer, oh Father. Go with her. May she be encouraged along this journey. For we ask it in the precious and matchless name of Jesus. Let the church say, Amen. Thank you so much. And God bless you. Yes. Let's give this lady some money as well. And right now, we, we, we just want you to know that, uh, as, as is our custom here at Abundant Life, you know, when kids go off to school, we always say to the members, look, if there is, if it's a boy, put something in his or her pocket. And if it's a girl, you put something in her purse. You got a big purse or a little purse? And you see, sometimes they come to church, they bring little purses. I really hope that you brought a huge purse today. Because if you brought a little one, your blessing's going to be little. Alright? So church, as you see her after the service today, would you show her how much you love her? Write your little check. Give her something. U.S. dollars as she goes off to somewhere else. That helps. Amen? And that will help her to be encouraged as she goes out to minister on our Lord's behalf. Her name is Jalisa Smith. J-A-L-I-S-A S-M-I-T-H Make the check out to her. And I'm going to ask her if she got anything after the service. Alright? Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. We also want to remember uh, Brother Building, who is in the hospital today. Please keep him in your prayer. He is one of our founding members here at Abundant Life. A soldier for Jesus, so do remember Brother Building. For those who are wondering also, you can get the bulletin online. We have been experimenting with that. 
So if you go to www.abundantlifelv.org, you will find the bulletin there. So I don't know how many of you have been looking at uh, on that, but it is on the website, okay? And you can, we're trying to save the trees. Just as uh, you'll hear more about our um, uh, energy saving activities uh, through Elder Brown. And please give him a hearty amen for the work with the finances. And give yourselves an amen. Shall we pray? Father and our God, we thank you so much for being our God. Lord, I stand in your pulpit. These are your people. Use me, Lord, to speak a word on your behalf. And Father, I promise to be careful that you receive all the glory and all the praise. Let God's people say, Amen. Amen. So if you turn your Bibles today, as we continue our series, Simply Saved, we have been launching out into the subject of conversion. You can't be converted if you don't know what it is. And we can't pretend we know, because if you don't know, you just don't know. And I want to let you know that ignorance is not bliss. <laughs> not because you don't know something will it mean that you are safe from it. A little baby may not know the danger of fire, but if they put their hand on that fire on the stove somewhere, it doesn't mean because they don't know means they're safe. It doesn't mean that they are absolved because of their ignorance. So we want to know about conversion. And so simply saved our subject today, debt free. Uh, turn your Bibles to Luke, the seventh chapter. Luke, the seventh chapter. Luke. What book did I say, church? Yes. Luke. Dr. Luke. And... I want to read, pick it up at verse 36. Verse 36. Verse 36, I want you to see it there with me. Are you there? Say amen. amen. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with her ears of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who had and, and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a what church? And Jesus answering said unto him, Simons, I, I have somewhat to say unto thee. 
And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave, forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Jesus said, Thou hast rightly judged. Debt free. Debt free. Now, I hope everyone has a study guide in your hand. Break open your bulletins. If you don't have one, raise your hand. My elders behind me should have one. Everyone should be armed. Even my pianist should have one in her hand because sometimes the preacher comes up and hollers and you leave and say, Amen. He can preach. But you forget about it when you get into your car. So I want to give you something that you can look at and study and reflect on. I'm giving you something you can use Monday morning. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand wherever you are. Ushers, you're helping me nicely. Come on, ushers. Put a pep in your step. Come on. Come on, ushers. Little steel in the spine. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. I see my AY leader right here. She's waiting. She has her pen ready, armed, and saved right there. Good. We still got my pianist. Don't leave my pianist. I need her to play at the end, man. Come on, my pianist right here. Everyone armed and ready? Say amen. Amen. My elder is still, uh, come on, my elders, my elders. Come on, my elders right here. I need them. I need one. Yes, there we go. All right. Now, if you have ever been in debt, come on and say amen. amen. All right, all right, all right. If you're still in debt, come on and say, help me, Jesus. The fact is, many of us will never be able to pay cash for college tuition or to purchase a home. Have mercy, Lord. Every year, over 40% of Americans, we are told, spend more than they earn, and it's no secret America has a problem with her credit card. If there were ever a time for credit card rehab, it's now. Greenspan says, as long as money is available, people will borrow. And many of us are still scratching our heads, asking why, why we're still going through this financial earthquake and why the daily reminder of crippling deficits. We can't even compromise on how to reduce our national debt, but I'm a preacher, not a politician. Don't get me wrong, if there are times when a debt can be, 
There are times when a debt can be a necessary evil. Amen? Yeah. Sometimes a debt can be a lifesaver if you have to deplete your cash savings or reserves. So I want to let you know that there are good debts and there are bad debts. Any debt. Are you looking at your paper? I just told you something. Yeah. Follow me closely. Any debt that helps you make or achieve more than you invest is a good debt. A home, a car, college education is good debt. I am standing in the pulpit after seven years of study because I took a loan. Yeah, student loan. First three years came by alone. Using debt wisely increases your credit rating. Use your credit card occasionally. Make your payments on time. Keep a low or no balance and you're on your way to financial freedom. But I want to tell you, if you lose your grip on good debt, that's bad for business. Your house is good debt. Your home is good debt until the mortgage becomes a noose around your neck. Your Cadillac is good debt until you lack the monthly payments, then obviously you're going to feel jacked at some point in time. Invest in financial instruments, real estate, career opportunities, or home remodeling projects, all good debt until they don't produce the financially desirable outcome. That's bad for business. Bad debt is simply what it says. It's bad debt. It is what it is. Bad debt. Buying things you can't afford. Huh? <laughs> Barely making money, but you put rims on the car. Take a cruise on credit. No matter how romantic, Caribbean or Mediterranean, you'll be cruising together with the repo man. <laughs> if you can't afford that thing up front. If you can't afford it up front, it's bad for business. Now, I'm no guru, Adrian, on financial management, right? So, so I, I did a little research, and I'm, I'm giving you something you can use Monday morning. So I spoke, well, I didn't speak with her. I checked her books out. So I, I, I checked with the pro Susie Arman and what it takes to be debt-free. So I pretty much consolidated. I gathered her suggestions in seven quick steps on your way to financial freedom. Number one, set a budget for yourself. 
I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up because uh, I'm not going to do that. But come on and say amen anyhow. If you want to be debt free, create a budget. Track your spending. And you'll see where the money flows. Where spending could be cut or even eliminated from your budget. Track the money and you can save the money. Stop the wild use of your credit cards. Are you in credit card trouble? Cut up those credit cards right now. I did it. It's a liberating experience. <laughs> I only got one credit card. Yeah. I, fresh out of college, and they gave me a credit card, 22% interest. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm excited. I got me a credit card. No credit score rating. So you're fresh out of college, no credit score, no good credit score, and you get one credit card and you think you're saved. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Bad for business. Because now, $5,000 at 18%, and you pay the minimum payment, you got 30 years to pay off that debt. Yeah, I'm giving you something practical for Monday morning. So now, what you're going to do? You only need one card for emergencies, church. And don't put it in your wallet. <laughs> yeah, you only need one, but you can't put it in your wallet. Because that's where you're going to get it, right? Put it up somewhere safe. Out of reach. If you please. So now, I told you, stop the wild use of credit cards on loans. Because you know, loans. Get rid of your student loans. Make a pledge for no new loans. And save towards a sizable down payment for your house. Be prepared to pay for it. Don't get in the big house if you can't pay the mortgage. Create an emergency fund. This will prevent unexpected expenses. You want me to give you a good example? Make it real. I was eating my dinner a day ago, Elder White, chewing my rice nice. And a pebble was in my rice. I crushed my teeth, split my teeth. Next day, you know where I got to be. I got to visit with the dentist. An expense I did not prepare for. It's an emergency. So now you're spending money to get a crown so I can talk to you today. Create an emergency fund which will prevent unexpected expenses. Now, number six, never let it happen to you again. Did you put it in? Did you put that in your study? When your credit forecast improves, people are going to come 
hey, you want a new credit card? You go to the bank to do your business. You didn't go for no credit card. Sir, we have a nice credit card here for you. Would you like to sign up for these free rewards? No, I don't want it. No, thank you. No, no, thank you. That's okay. Thanks a lot. I am good. When you have gotten your freedom out of the debt, you got extra now that you can put to have a more quality life experience. But, but, but guess what I learned from this secular uh, financial manager here? She says, listen church, she says, elder, she says, being a faithful steward, being a faithful steward will cause you to recognize true wealth. I started, I, I couldn't believe it. How is your stewardship today, church? How is your tithing? Money itself will not make you financially free. You've got to release your talents on the money. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Then you will receive what is meant to be yours. I'm here to tell you good debt, bad debt, still debt. Financial freedom begins with a rational choice that we can all make. Spiritual freedom, spiritual liberty is also your rational, reasonable, willful surrender to God. Luke's parable has a specific agenda because it reveals, it reveals, it reveals several realities that concern our soul salvation that we need to understand. That's why I want, I'm spending some time talking about the subject of being debt free. Reality number one, the creditor in the story already knows your character. He knows your credit history. He doesn't have to run your credit. The creditor knows you messed up. Except Simon. Simon the Pharisee doesn't know that. Simon's problem is his logic. If Jesus is indeed a prophet, he would know people's character. He would know this woman is a stripper, low-down shorty, and right he is. Because Jesus says, Simon, Simon, I, I have something that I want to say to you. Jesus has something he wants to say to us this morning. Simon, I have something to tell you. The book Desire of Ages Page 566 tells me, listen to this, listen, listen, listen. Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. She had been deeply wronged by him, by the two debtors of the parable. Simon and the woman were represented. 
Jesus did not design to teach that different degrees of obligation should be felt by two persons, for each owed a debt of gratitude that never could be repaid. But Simon felt himself more righteous than Mary, and Jesus desired him to see how great his guilt really was. He would show him that his sin was greater than hers, as much greater as a debt of 500 pence exceeds a debt of 50 pence. Often as church folk, you know, we see sin in terms of behavior or doing bad things. God already knows who you are. The devil knows who you are. But we don't seem to get it. The devil loves it when we are distracted. If we are distracted, our minds can easily be distorted. We lose our passion and our hunger for God when our attention is upon ourselves. So, so, so look at Revelation 3 verse 5. Revelation 3 verse 5. When the attention is on ourselves and we look at this text, it says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Wonderful news. Our names will not be blotted out of the book of life. Wonderful news that our names are confessed before the father and the angels. But there we go again. Spending our energies trying to overcome which ends in depression and discouragement. When the focus is on us, Hebrews 10, Hebrews chapter 10, 26 to 27 becomes a problem for us. It says, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment. If you think this text suggests that there is no provision for deliberate sin in the Old Testament sacrificial system, then obviously we are left out in the cold. How do I overcome? Not only that, we all can agree on one thing. After reading Hebrews 12, 4, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And that seems to suggest we are not trying hard enough. We got to shed some blood, right? Is that what the text is saying? Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you have ever found yourself between a rock and a hard place, out of the frying pan into the fire, I have got some good news for you. It's not simply about doing bad things. Doing bad things is the result of sin. I know you're going to chew on that a little bit. Sin involves something far deeper than doing bad things. Anything I do, whether good or bad, makes no difference. Anything I do that I'm not doing through the life of faith 
is sin because I can only be doing it for selfish reasons. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So John 16, 8-9 tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, but the Spirit also says of sin because they believe not on me. Sin is rooted in a trusting relationship with Jesus. Do you trust him? Sin results in sins. We are called sinners because we are born separated from God. We came dead on arrival. We didn't have to do any sinning in order to become sinners. I told you, sin, we can all be sinful even though we are not sinning. Once you are born in this world, you are a sinner in need of a savior. But I want to give you the breakthrough. You now know that sin is living apart from Jesus. Thinking we are strong enough to live on our own steam. The devil is down here on earth because he thought he could do it by himself in heaven. Adam and Eve fell out of relationship with Jesus because they wanted to go it alone on their own steam. Sin is a separation from God. Focus on Jesus, not on behavior religion or theology. Behavior theology. The creditor knows our character and he wants to give us his character. But there's a second reality that revealed, is revealed in this parable. The creditor will cancel your debt. Just like the two men in the story, everyone in here, under the sound of my voice, is spiritually in debt. All of us in debt. So Simon says, teacher, say it. Pre in other words, Simon is saying, go ahead and preach, preacher. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing which which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Sin is a debt that requires a price. Romans 3.23 says, the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ our Lord. See her there. This woman. Morally and spiritually bankrupt. Not only does she recognize her need. But she does something radical and unconventional. You see when the Holy Ghost get a hold of us. We don't worry about what people may think about us in church. When we come to church, we're not concerned so much about what people are thinking or saying about us. Our focus is on Jesus. She didn't care. She walks up in the room, rolls up in the wonderful, dignified party held by a Pharisee who had money. But she didn't care. She wanted to see Jesus. She just wanted to see Jesus. No one could 
block her blessing. Nothing else mattered. She wanted to see Jesus. When we focus, zoom in on Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 reads a little different. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, because you realize it's not overcoming your sins by deeds. The real deal is living apart from God. Not a band-aid effect. You get a wound, you put a band-aid on it. You think about the individual sins in your life. That's not what it's about. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? So he that overcometh got to have a life with Jesus. Jesus is saying, can we, can we get to know each other? Can, can we have a relationship? Will you enter a relationship with me today? Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Hebrews 10, 26, 27 is no longer a threat to us, a threat to a child of God. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no sacrifice for sin. We now know, we now know that, we now know and understand, thank you, and understand that this experience is not about us striving unto blood, but the focus is on Jesus. But here we are busy with our own doing. We're we busy, aren't we? We're busy with the cable and TV channels. We're busy with our business. Busy with the children, or so we hope. Busy with everything else but Jesus. Life outside of Christ is no life at all. Because the sacrifice he has made will be of no effect for your life. Now here's a favorite text that the devil uses on us. James 4 verse 7. We ought to be resisting the devil, right? Take a closer look and you'll see and realize... What the text is saying. Tell your neighbor, look at the context. Look at the context. The Bible says, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. The point is, when you have submitted to God, verse 8 tells us to go on and draw nigh to God. So a little Greek can help us. A little Greek can help us. The way you resist the devil is by drawing nigh to God. Amen. Resisting the devil will never resist the devil. That only leads you to depression. You try to do it on your own. That's what he wants. 
He wants your attention to be focused on him. But the creditor stands ready to cancel your debt. No worries. The commercial says approved, approved, approved. Jesus wants to cancel our debt. There's still another reality revealed in this parable that's crucial to our soul salvation. Reality number three, the creditor, the creditor paid it all. I don't need any guarantor or co-signer. Because the creditor paid it all. No need for a payment plan. No need for a layaway. The divine creditor voluntarily stretched out on the cross and paid it in full and proclaimed me debt free. So now, do I walk around in my high and mighty self? No, I'm more humble because of his grace. So now I can look at Jesus in Hebrews 12. It says, wherefore seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight, every weight and the sin living apart from God which doth so easily beset us. There's more. It says, let us now run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus where you should look, church, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, He was tempted in all like as we are. If you look in the Greek, you won't see points there. He's tempted in all. Now, some people say Jesus being tempted. How is that be? How could that be? He's pure, he's holy, he's righteous. God, shrouded in the garb of humanity, loving righteousness and hating iniquity. Tempted to do what? Well, I'll tell you. Our God, Jesus, was tempted to do right. Have you ever been tempted to do right? Think about it. But Jesus was tempted. He was tempted to use his power. To use his power to do good. And the devil knew it. That's why he told Jesus, come on Jesus, you hungry? Turn the stones into bread. Adam and Eve recognized they did not have sin within them. They were made holy and pure, yet they yielded to temptation. So Jesus doesn't need to be infected or affected by sin to know or experience or understand what I'm going through. He's tempted even greater than us. Because just a thought could vanquish the enemy. And yet he had to contain himself. I like how Desire of Ages uh, puts it. As it relates to how profound Jesus' temptation is. He says in Desire of Ages, page 116. Many look at, on this conflict between Christ and Satan as having no special bearing on their own life. 
and for them it has little interest. But within the domain of every human heart, this controversy is repeated. Never does one leave the ranks of evil for the service of God without encountering the assaults of Satan. As I'm preaching, I know the Holy Spirit is saying something to our hearts. But the devil is working too. And he's trying to prevent or block your blessing. The enticements with Christ resisted were those that we find it so difficult to withstand. They were urged upon him in as much greater degree as his character is superior to ours. With the terrible weight of the sins of the world upon him, Christ withstood the test upon appetite, upon the love of the world, and upon the love of display which leads to presumption. These were the temptations that overcame Adam and Eve and that so readily overcome us. Jesus paid it all. When Adam was assailed by the tempter, the book goes on, none of the effects of sin were upon him. He stood in the strength of perfect manhood, possessing the full vigor of mind and body. He was surrounded with the glories of Eden and was in daily communion with the heavenly beings. This was not the case with Jesus when he entered the wilderness to cope with Satan. For 4,000 years, the race had been decreasing in physical strength, in mental power, and in moral worth. And Christ took upon him the infirmities of degenerate humanity. Only thus could he rescue us from the lowest depths of his degradation. So people claim that it was impossible for Christ to overcome by temptation. But if that's the case, he could not be Placed in Adam's position for us. Our substitute. Our savior. Took on humanity with all its liabilities. He took on all of our nature and all it came with. Jesus was affected or injured by sin. But not infected or polluted by sin. That's why he was able to say not my will. But thy will be done. And an angel of light descends from heaven at intergalactic speed. No, I think that's too slow. Maybe the speed of light, still too slow. But a thought, the angel came on a thought and lifts the head of Jesus out of the dirt. The creation, the creature cradling the head of the creator. Praise God today that he went to Calvary. Alas, the hymnist says, the writer, the songwriter, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for a worm as I? Paid in full. Three things happen when we are debt free. Ready, church? Three things happen when we are debt free. Number one, we are given a new intellectual nature. A new mind, no longer blind to God's truth. No amount of preaching, no matter how conservatively orthodox it may be. No amount of mere study of the word of God will change you until you yield to the power of the Holy Ghost. 
It is he and he alone who makes a man a new creature. 2 Peter 1.4 Not only that, we're given a, an affectional nature. We get new taste. That's all that's saying. New desires. We no longer love the things that displease our God. That which we hated, we now love. And things we once loved, we now hate. As I look back on my life, as I think about it, huh? I couldn't stand the Bible. Just a bunch of myths created by the white man, we felt. But when the Spirit came in and my heart was filled with his love and his word, I had a newfound love for God's word. In those former days before some of us were born again, some of us spent our Saturdays with sports and games and a couple of R-rated movies on Saturday night. Some of us thought a little wine should be taken for the stomach's sake. That marijuana was for the healing of the nations. Shrimp and lobster buffets were the bomb. And hog meat, oh, just a taste of heaven. We thought people who went to church on Sabbath were a bunch of losers. Best day of the week and they're going out there to church. Weird. And these same people today are in church in front of me. Disgusted with the very thought of clubbing, trashy talk, and risque behavior. No, they can't get enough of hanging out with God's people. They hang out at prayer meeting. They can't wait to get a church to hang out with God's people. They're not in a hurry to go home. That's why I like what Paul's testimony says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new what? Creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they become new. But not only that. We are given a, a, a new volitional nature. What does that mean? Volitional nature. That is, we are given a new will. A new will. When we are born again, selfishness is replaced by selflessness. We live to please God. We delight in the law of his word. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Finally, I'm done. I'm done, church. Finally. I just want to ask you today, are you debt free? Will you leave here confident that you are debt free? I'm not asking whether or not you are church members. I'm not asking whether or not you are baptized. No, I'm not asking whether or not you're giving as much of your income to the church and to charities. I'm not asking whether you go to prayer meeting or study your Bible daily or regularly. I'm asking you, are you debt free? Are you debt free? I'm asking, are you born again? 
Are you born again? Have you been saved? Are you being saved? Will you be saved? Well, if your answer is yes, then I want you to stand to your feet. If you're debt free, stand to your feet right now. If you're debt free, spiritual debt free, come on, church, stay with me. I didn't ask you about your mortgage. Not asking about your car note. I got them too. I'm saying, are you spiritually debt free? Yes. There we go. The house is going to burn. Oh, the Lexus is going to burn, baby. Huh? Your BMW burn. I'm a little Honda Accord. It going to burn. They all going to burn. Yeah. All your material wealth.